I'm here with Francine Akbar, and Francine is a person with many interests and many careers. I've explained to her that I interview people who make their living or their life with an art, and many of her careers require artistic skill. So I only ask one question, but before I ask it, I wonder when people ask you what you do, how do you describe yourself? Well, I, I would say creative rather than artistic, because I think artistic implies something more narrow than creative. Um, how do I, uh, I describe myself as a former uh, television producer and arts administrator? Okay, <laughs> my first question is, do you remember the very first time in your life that, <laughs> generally speaking, I say, when this art occurred to you or called you or you became interested in it. I don't know very many kids who are thinking, you know, I'd like to be a producer. So do you know when this Where did this come from? Yeah. Well, I have a couple of strands that recur. Mm -hmm. One of them is I grew up in Ottawa, Canada, which is was a pretty small Jewish community. Mm -hmm. In fact, claustrophobic Jewish community. And my parents sent me to Jewish day school, which was pretty conservative. And it, 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 why we were so involved with this school was a mystery to me because my parents weren't particularly observant. But my grandfather had been a immigrant from Lithuania to Palestine before mm. it was Israel mm. to Ottawa. So all this Jewish tradition was very important to him. And um, from a very young age, my teachers told my mother I was a good writer. <laughs> so that was something I knew I could feel confident about. Wait, wait, before you, before you go on, they said you were a good writer. Do you remember liking writing? Oh, I like to write. I like to read. Yeah. I mean, I was dreadful at math and <laughs> comfortable in, you know, reading and, and, and uh, fiction and uh, very comfortable. Okay. Did you, did you start to write before assignments in school or does it start in school? Oh, it starts in school. Okay, starts in school. I was also quite privileged to go to Canada's first arts camp, mm. which you might know of, Interlochen. Oh, yeah. A big, well-known <laughs> American one. Well, Canada had one called Manitowabing mm -hmm. in um, Perry Sound, Ontario. How old were you? About 12. Mm -hmm. And all the instructors were arts professionals from Toronto. You know, really good people who ran theaters and directed real stuff in Toronto. And you had a program of majors and minors. And I was a theater major and a ceramics minor. <laughs> and wait, 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 wait. All right, wait. So uh, do you choose it? Yes, you choose okay. it. Like college. You yeah, no, no, no. I, I understand. Yeah. So you're 12. Um, when did you get introduced to theater so much so that you would want to do this? Oh, I was taking theater classes at the Ottawa Little Theater from probably 10. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. Did you see a play and say, I want to do this? Did your parents say, you, you're an extrovert, you should go to the theater? When I was 12, my parents and grandparents took me on a weekend to New York. Mm -hmm. And I saw My Fair Lady, <laughs> Rex Harrison, mm -hmm. and The Music Man with mm. Robert Preston. And they were so spectacular. Yeah. And they made a huge impression on me. So I loved theater. And I met this arts camp, and um, we did Dark of the Moon. And I was a witch. <laughs> and the director, whose name was Billy Glenn, quite well-known director from Toronto, they come around to see your parents in the winter to sort of help sign you up for the next summer. And my mother said, well, how's Francine doing? And he says, well, frankly, she doesn't have it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, not a great recruiting strategy. I didn't have it to be an actress. I was never uninhibited enough to let go of being self-conscious. But I love being around it. Mm -hmm. And parenthetically, my mother's family ran a dance studio mm. in the going back to, well, my mother's 100, going wow. back to, to the 1920s, her parents, who were Russian immigrants, styled themselves Professor and Mrs. Sinclair. Pictures of them. Um, and they ran... Uh, Ottawa's the capital, and they taught all these foreign diplomats how to do the foxtrot <laughs> and other dances that you needed to know in North America. So they taught ballroom, and then they taught ballet and tap to the kids. And wow. my mother and her sisters were dance teachers. So it was a family that was very uh, comfortable with the arts, assumed that you would have the arts in your life. Did my you dance? I did everything. <laughs> I was an only child for a long time, so my mother took me to skating lessons and to ballet lessons and to art lessons and to music lessons and to horseback riding <laughs> lessons. Uh, yes, I was... Um, You're the well-rounded person. <laughs> well, very well-rounded. There were a lot of cultural opportunities in, in my childhood. Yeah, and yeah. do you remember being drawn to one or another or... I loved horseback riding a lot uh -huh. and theater a lot. You know, it's not a big uh, call for horseback riding as a career. I played polo here <laughs> until I was 72. Did you really? I did. Good for you. I did. Well, okay, so, so theater keeps coming up. As, theater, um, theater kept coming up. Okay, so I escape Ottawa. Uh, how? By going to Boston University. In communication. It became clear I wasn't going to be an actress. Mm -hmm. Did you like it when you were doing it? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's one thing uh, not to think you're going to be successful at it, but it's, it's another, um, you know, I didn't, it didn't feel right to me. It just felt like there were too many people who were way better. Uh -huh. And I wasn't one of these people that no matter what they say to me, I'm going to go and do it. <laughs> I wasn't that. And, the, and, the, and, and, you know, for instance, there's a very good School of Fine Arts in, uh, at Boston University. never crossed my mind to go there. Uh -huh. But I was always interested in journalism. 
Well, you were a good writer. I was a good writer and, and news, and my father read many newspapers. The news was given um, great respect in our household. To, you know, when the news came on, everybody mm -hmm. had to be quiet and listen to it. So that was something where I knew this is, this is important stuff. Mm -hmm. So I went to journalism school at Boston University and learned to be a reporter. My first job coming out of there was, have you ever heard of Fairchild Publications? Yes. I'm sure you heard of Women's Wear Daily. <laughs> okay. Well, somewhat less famous, Footwear News and Home Furnishings Daily. <laughs> and those, I was a reporter on those two for my first job out of college. I was there for a year, and you did sales surveys, and I used to go out with an artist in, in a, New England was big shoe-making capital at that time. So my artist, Polly Kaplan, and I would drive around Maine and New Hampshire and go to the factories and cover the new fashion lines, <laughs> which is fun. Um, and then I did the home furnishing side. Uh, so there were, you know, you could write features and sales stories and all this stuff. After a year, now this is 68, 68, 69, I graduated in 67. Um, the Vietnam War is going on, mm -hmm. and I'm living about three blocks from Harvard Square, mm. and the students are protesting in the streets, and the news is Vietnam, and all this stuff. The news is not Home Furnishings Daily. So you regularly got um, queries from the headquarters in New York to do these sales roundups. And the most memorable one was, for Home Furnishings Daily, toilet seats. <laughs> What's selling? <laughs> Foam? Cane? <laughs> you know those ones that have the pennies embedded in them? <laughs> and these uh, queries would come over a, wi a wire service, long rolls of paper, and I just took the paper, threw it up on my desk and said, I'm not doing this. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I quit without another job to go to, never occurring to me that that would be a problem. How old were you? Oh, let's see. I graduated at 21. I guess I was now 22. <laughs> but I had a book of clippings. Mm -hmm. So I started to make the rounds of the dailies and the wire services and eventually got hired by the Boston Herald Traveler as a general assignment reporter. Mm. So I got to cover the anti-war movement. Oh, yeah. And I got to cover the then emerging feminist movement. Yeah and a lot of the welfare rights movement, a lot of social, there was a lot of social turbulence yeah. going on in those days. I was at that paper for four years. At the time, the Federal Communications Commission passed a law that said you couldn't own both a television station and a newspaper in the same city. So they started to break up these monopolies. And the Boston Herald Traveler folded because the moneymaker was their television station. Mm -hmm. And they laid us off. I was part of 10 young people who were hired in the Kitty Corps, and we were laid off by seniority. And I was out of a job. So I said to myself, I think the way to go here is television, not newspapers. I watched this talk show, and it's kind of unusual. It's got the usual, we're now in the early 70s. And it's got the usual mix of aging celebrities and cooking segments, 
but it's got a lot of feminist stuff. Mm. It's got Gloria Steinem and Letty Pagraben, and I'm thinking, oh, that's very interesting. So I go and see the producer, and as it turns out, there's an opening on the show for an associate producer, so I pitch it, and, and she tells me, I want you to watch a week of shows and tell me what you like about the shows. So I go, I watch all these shows, and, and I assume this is a hotly contested position. I watch all the shows, and um, I make my chart, and then I give her 50 great ideas, <laughs> and I turn the stuff in, and they hire me. And the person who hired me, she said, Are you, do you want to know why we hired you? And I said, yeah, I'm kind of curious. She said, well, one of the observations you made was that Sonia, who's the host, Sonia Hamlin, did a tap dancing segment, and she wore very long bell-bottom pants. And you said, this makes no sense. You can't see her feet. <laughs> she said, I really value common sense. Wow. So I got the job. So I'm at this talk show. And the news is really compelling and urgent in those days. And I spend a year on the talk show and I say, I really belong in news, uh -huh. not on this talk show. So I get a job in TV news at another station. And uh, at that station, uh, I was asked to create an all-women newscast, wow. noon news. So the anchor was a woman, the sportscaster was a woman. The, and this was unusual at mm -hmm. the time. Consumer reporter was a woman. And we did very bold things for Boston, which is heavily Catholic, like a birth control series in which we put a condom on a cucumber. <laughs> oh, wow. Phones went off the hook. <laughs> so um, the uh, news director thought I was smart. And he advances me to assignment editor, and I eventually become executive producer of the news there. Which, which is really, it seems to me, where you belong. Given the early life, the, the you know, immersion into the importance of news, the importance of being a good writer, the, these things, it's like you took a kind of sort of circuitous route to wind up where... Well, you don't know where you're going when you're that age. This was a little bit of a process of stepping on different stones and trying different things out. And, you know, running a news department is like, you know, running a news department. Yeah. It's uh, a lot of people, a lot of noise, a lot of fast-breaking stuff. And I would walk up to the medicine cabinet every day at 3 o'clock and pop a lot of Advil. Wow. Um, and after a couple of years, I said, you know, I don't love this. <laughs> uh, I want to think more about the stories. Mm -hmm. I want to do documentaries and specials. So luckily, I had an incident in which the star reporter, who was a total asshole, um, was very difficult to manage. And there was an issue around uh, locating a new prison in Boston. And where was it going to go? And this was, it had been, you know, one of these things that goes on for years in the news. Finally, they had resolved where to put the new prison. And, you know, it's quarter to six. In those days, you had graphics department that made real physical artworks, and then you <laughs> shot them and put, the, put it into the story. 
The art department makes the map. They put the dot on the map showing where the prison goes. And this reporter in the middle of the newsroom at five to six screams at me. You screwed me. You had them put a red dot on a brown map. You can't see it. And I thought, I don't like this, and I don't need this, and I'm not going to do this anymore. And I walked into the news director's office and said, I'm done. Luckily, I was well-known and well-liked in that station, so I walked up one flight of stairs to the programming department where they were starting a new public affairs show, and they were happy to have me, and I could leave the headache of the news department. So I did. But I had learned a lot. And you really learn to be fast, and you learn to write fast, and you learn to edit fast. I mean, there's, it's a great foundation of, of skills. So I did documentaries and specials for many years. I did things, you know, slow poison, America's toxic waste scandal. I went to Love Canal in a hazmat suit. Um, changing role of men. I did live stuff like the tall ships come to Boston for seven hours of, you know, live stuff. So I did all, I, lots, of, lots, of good, uh, lots of good experience. And I became executive producer of programming there at that station, the NBC station in Boston, WBC-TV, very well-known station. And I had 40 producers and videographers and editors and many, many shows. And um, it was great. Mm -hmm. I, I am a good manager of creative people. And I like managing creative people. And I like, I am more of a manager of creative people than I am a craftsperson who wants to sit there and... Yeah. Should I put 10 seconds in here or should I put 6 seconds in here? <laughs> we won a lot of Emmys and the Columbia DuPont Award and we're now in the 80s, the glorious 80s. One of my producers did a show called The Secret Should Be Told which was a show about child sexual abuse for children mm. with puppets. There was a well-known uh, puppet artist in Boston by the name of Susan Lynn and it was about how young children should know when they're being touched inappropriately. Wow. So that we won Action for Children. We won a slew of big awards for that one. Um, and the other thing we did, this was Westinghouse Broadcasting, which is a great broadcaster at the time, with stations in um, six cities, Boston, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Baltimore, San Francisco, not New York. Um, we did um, public service station image campaigns where we would produce programming and vignettes and advertising and we ended up selling the package of these projects to a hundred stations around the country and we had good budgets and we got to make made-for-tv movies. Wow. So we made one called Jenny's Song about a child coming to terms as a teenager with her father's death. Mm -hmm. That was a good one. Um, one campaign was called For Kids Sake, which had many, many children-related issues and themes. One was called Time to Care about volunteerism. One was called Celebrate America. And, uh, we did a, a, a movie called The Mad Housers, which is a story I pulled out of the New York Times about a bunch of young people in uh, Atlanta, I think it was, where there was a big homeless population and they helped these homeless people build little houses <laughs> on public land. Anyway, it was all great. In the early 90s, cable comes in mm. and the business changed dramatically. Yes. I had to lay off quite a few of those 40 people. 
and it was just not so not so fun anymore. No. So I spent some time in um, client marketing, kind of taking all my clever ideas and using them for the sales department. And then I thought, I don't love this. <laughs> I don't love this. One more trip to Worcester to go pitch some furniture store owner. Not my thing. So I left. I worked briefly for a company called American Public Television, which distributes uh, programs to public television mm -hmm. stations. And then I had a business for five years, um, marketing and media for nonprofits. Mm -hmm. I, I made a lot of fundraising films. And then one day, I went to a cocktail party at the Boston Public Library, where a very wealthy and prominent um, real estate, Jewish real estate developer, who uh, had a fabulous collection of antique maps, like from the 1600s, mm. that he was giving to the library. And because I happened to know him, I was invited to this party, and at the party I happened to talk to his son-in-law, who says, come and have lunch with me. Mm -hmm. I thought, why not? So it turns out that he himself, a partner with his father-in-law in this big real estate development firm, is, and very active in the Jewish uh, philanthropic community, had the idea for a Jewish cultural center in Boston. Mm. And this is a period when there had been a national study of the Jewish community in which they discovered that 50% were marrying non-Jews. Mm. Much hue and cry and anxiety okay. and hysteria. What will we do? What will we do? And they had begun to think maybe the temple's not enough. And maybe Jewish summer camp's not enough. And maybe Hadassah's not enough. <laughs> maybe we need to do something different. And the idea, and this was an idea that you saw in New York and you saw in a lot of major cities, Jewish arts and culture. So these wealthy Jewish real estate developers, very philanthropic people, came up with the idea of something that called the New Center for Arts and Culture. This nice man who took me to lunch said, I think you should be the development director. You'll be perfect. And I said, but Mr. Sidman, I've never been a development director. And he said, that doesn't matter. He said, the ones who do it aren't so good. And I thought, okay. So I thought, okay. Um, guy's offering me a nice salary. Sounds interesting. And the idea of doing this Jewish cultural thing intrigued me because I kind of ran away from, mm -hmm. you know, the Ottawa Hebrew Day School and the claustrophobic Jewish community. And I did not live in a city where, you know, there was a 92nd Street Y or any, like, things that you would really be excited about. So I was the development director for uh, a while, and then the executive director quit, and then I became the executive director. And we did two strands of programming, one for adults, which was, do you know the 92nd Street Y? I do. You know what they do? I went often. Okay. Because you live, okay. So we had all kinds of, you know, Jewish thought leaders. We've got Nina Totenberg from NPR, and we had Robert Brustein, who started the American Repertory Theater at at Harvard, Dr. Ruth, David Grossman, wonderful Israeli writer. So this was kind of a talk and ideas um, series. And then we did a lot of performance, some of it kind of different. 
a number of very interesting Israeli performers. Other strand of programming was young adults, which means post-college pre-family formation. And I had some very good young um, directors of that division, and they came up with such clever things like Beyond Bubby's Kitchen. <laughs> and we would get all these top chefs from Boston to do new interpretations of Jewish dishes oh my goodness. at a big diner-round at a big downtown venue, which was great fun. The museum, of Boston Museum of Fine Arts is kind of, a, was a bastion of waspiness. We brought them a huge Hanukkah celebration. I mean, I'm sure those old Yankees were twirling in their graves <laughs> at a Hanukkah celebration in the Museum of Fine Arts with the mummies. But we brought lots of hands-on stuff and um, virtual reality stuff. And there were things that these young people could think of to do you know, that were very millennial and very, that we did their programming in clubs and bars, not... Yeah, they could, they could take the modern, the, their modern perspective and use it yes. to blend this synthesis that you were creating. Yes, so they were uh, imaginative and clever, and one of my young, young person directors is now running the whole thing. <laughs> Very clever. She Very is, cool. yes, and she's doing, a, she's doing a great job. And one performance which was really the one that kind of crystallized for me, why are you doing this and why is it meaningful? A guy by the name of David Lehman wrote a book called Jewish Songwriters American Songs. And he wrote about all the people who wrote the Great American Songbook. Like right. Gershwin. He's a charming guy. I was very interested in him, and I thought, well, let's make a performance out of this. So we rented this great big lovely theater in Boston, and he was kind of the narrator, and then I hired a um, quite good singing group, mm -hmm. and he would tell the story of all the songwriters, oh, and great. they would sing them. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example. You know the uh, song, It Ain't Necessarily So? Mm -hmm. You can probably sing it. Mm -hmm. The notes... It ain't necessarily so, I'm a terrible singer, yeah. comes from the Saturday morning service when you're called to the Torah. Oh my goodness. Um, Barhu Adonai Hambarah, Barhu Adonai Hambarah, It's the same yes, notes. Yes. Yes. Um, and Gershwin, whose name was Gershkowitz, yeah. uh, you know, came from a very old-fashioned Jewish family. Right. So I found it just so interesting to find how traditional Jewish practice found its way into American culture. It was the synthesis of Jewish culture in American arts, and, and it was a big aha moment. And I said, this is what I have been looking for. <laughs> this is the connection that really means something to me. Yes. Well, it was the synthesis of who you who I are. Was. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly right. Yeah. So, and yeah. it made me, it made me very happy. It was very satisfying. I did it for enough years till I was sixty-eight, and I'd said, I, I, I'm entitled to retire. <laughs> so I did. So then I came to Sarasota. We moved here in um, seventeen. I tutored for a few years at the Emma Booker School until COVID happened. In what? Reading. Little kids reading. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, satisfying thing to do. Uh, it's a Title I school, as you may know, so they've got 
many needs. Um, I'm starting to tutor. I just finished a course in tutoring uh, for the Sarasota Literacy Council, which is people for whom English is a second language. Mm -hmm. I'm on the board of the Longboat Key Democratic Club, where I am very active. And uh, that's what I do here. Yeah, uh, you know, and I don't know how long ago in this, in this, I said when you came to the um, to the newsroom that you had come to the place that you had been heading, and clearly I was wrong. <laughs> clearly, it just took a lot more stones for you to step on before you got to the place that you were actually heading. Well, I wouldn't have been. I wouldn't have wanted to do the Jewish cultural thing when I was in my 30s. Well, but it, but everything led to it. Yes. Yeah. So yes. I understand uh, not only that you wouldn't have wanted to do it in your 30s, but, but in a way you weren't prepared yet no, to do it. No, I had it. to do all those other you things. You had to do all those other things. Both for um, identity reasons, I want to be a producer in the news, and for learning I need to learn to do all those skills. Yeah, all that managing of, uh, yeah. of, of people, right. Right, right, right. All that appreciation of creativity <laughs> in its various forms, right. And how to manage it. And how to manage it, exactly. So um, you understand the concept of bashert, right? I do. And it does seem to me that your life is one long <laughs> example of uh, bashert leading to something that you were uniquely, he wasn't wrong when he said you should take this job. You were uniquely, um, what? Suited. Suited, that's the word I want, right? I was... Turned out I was. Yeah, I was, I was toying with um, designed or programmed, but um, everything really in your life, from the, from the fact of the claustrophobic um, Jewish community uh, that in a sense propelled you out into the world to, to get all of these skills so you could come back and... Um, it's kind of interesting, and, isn't it? Yes, and honor. Um, find a new way to be. Say more about that. Well, I didn't have to stay in Ottawa. Yes, no, that, that, yes. And I didn't have to be um, my mother. And I didn't have to work for the Hadassah Bazaar in Ottawa. You know, I mean, it was also a transformational period for women. Yes, yes. I think you were actually um, riding the crest oh, absolutely. of what I, was I, happening I, in I'm your... the first year of the baby boom. What? I, am, I was born in 46, the first right, year exactly, of the baby right, boom. Right, right, right. So all these things that That's began right. to happen were opportunities that that a woman Through who could, would. Through changes of history, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, became available to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you rode them. Not everybody would. Not everybody did. Not everybody did. Not no, everybody not did. Not everybody did. Right. My best friend from high school married, and married a nice Jewish guy and lived in Hamilton, Ontario and went to Shabbat dinner at her mother-in-law's house and was simmering with rage. It, it really is, for me anyway, an example of of being able to know where you need to go and when you need to, to leave. You seemed clearly at every turn to know when the thing that you went to because you thought it was a good idea at the time 
had served its purpose and you just left. This is again, not everybody does this. Okay. Uh, the Stated positively, it's knowing when to leave. Stating negatively is maybe sometimes you should sit more with things that you've, you're uncomfortable with and you had enough of. Oh, that's so interesting because what I see is that you got what you needed and you moved on. And I don't look back at any of those places No, and, say, and you gosh, were, I wish I'd stayed longer. No, 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 right. And you were unequivocal. I'm done here. That's what you said, right? This is not everybody does this. The majority of people stay home and have Shabbat dinner with their mother-in-law. You know, right, right. So, do you know where you got that? The, the, the certainty. The I had enormous. My father had a lot of uh, confidence in me. <clears throat> my mother was a very traditional lady, um, but my father felt like if you want to do it, you can do it. He, he gave me a lot of confidence for a girl of that time. So. This is another one of the things that I want to highlight in the interviews I do. And it is the impact. It is the impact of uh, what our parents uh, showed us, taught us, helped us, allow, uh, encouraged us, right? So you were born into a very um, uh, traditional family, no? No, actually you weren't. It wasn't, it wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't, right. Um, it was traditional in some ways. You had a traditional mommy. That's what I heard you say, right? Right. But all of that exposure to the arts, that, that doesn't necessarily go with that. And then the encouragement by your dad, that's, you said you were an only child for till, a long till time. Until I was nine. Until you were nine. If there are seven years between you, you are an only child. And if the person born when you were nine, nobody else was born, then that person is also yeah, an only child. Right? Two, two families. Right, exactly. So you got... Lots of attention. <laughs> well, not only lots of attention, but lots of encouragement, lots of support, lots of you can do it. Well, I think I filled a need that my father might have had to have a boy. Yeah. And there wasn't boy, a boy, so he had a little boat, and I was the one who was sent out on the boat to clean it. <laughs> or uh, the garage. I remember I'd clean the garage, and he'd say, I want you to clean the garage floor today. And um, if you can't do it with grace, don't do it at all, and you have to do it. And I'd look across the way, and I'd say, but the Schaefer girls are out sunning themselves in the backyard with the sun reflectors. The three very pretty sisters who lived next door to us. And my father said, I don't care what the Schaefer girls are doing. You're cleaning the garage. Yeah. So I had um, roles to play, I think, maybe, that both a boy, had there been one, would be playing. And, of course, I was everything my mother wanted a girl to be. Yes. Yeah, you and I had nobody to compete with for a long time. No, but the the two things uh, come together. The fact that um, they had needs for their the, their child, and you were perfectly capable of fulfilling all of them, and it made you 
into a person, you can tell me if I'm wrong, who could literally ride the crest of what was happening uh, in, in our world for women. That you could be someone who would say, well, I don't like this job and I'm leaving and I'll just go get another one and go get another one. Um, lots of women raised, when you were raised, couldn't have done that. So kudos to your parents. They gave you such a leg up. Self-confidence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And to you, because I guess it's maybe genetic, but you had all the skills. You could do everything. You could ride the horse. You could skate the plane. You could fix you could clean the boat. You could make Shabbat, Shabbat's dinner. So yeah. just, it's it's lovely. It's it's lovely, and and it led to quite an exciting and fulfilling career. That that it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's wonderful. So I I only have one other question, and it is if you can encapsulate this or or synthesize your life, what would you say about it? I was fortunate enough to meet the moment. I think that's mm. exactly right. You were fortunate to meet the moment. I want to say the moment was fortunate to find you because you were perfect. Well, I was good enough for a lot of circumstances. <laughs> yeah, I think it, I think I think you're underplaying it, but that's all right. Unrelated to this conversation, I also had three husbands. Wow! Different ones for different periods. Yeah, just like mm. everything else. Yeah. You just you just walk those stepping stones. <laughs> yes, uh, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, but a lot of it is when you're born. Some of it is when you're born. Most of the women who were born when you were born didn't do what you did. So you were born at a moment when a lot of things were possible. But just becoming possible. Yeah, that's right. They were just becoming possible. But you were able to benefit from them, to use them, to, to, to prove that they were right. Well, um, thank you very much, Francine. This has been quite lovely. Great. Well, thank you. You're welcome.